Hear the word of God from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the world. Grateful to be with you here this morning. We're in week five of our Unstuck series in uh, the fifth week of Lent. And today's message is really about the smell of unstuckness. What's that smell like? Well, we're going to find out. But before we do, I want you to, we're going to do something a little bit different than we usually do. Introverts are bracing themselves. I want you to turn to, your, uh, to the people around you and say, what's one of your favorite scents that you have in your life? One of your favorite scents. You're only going to have a minute, so go. Okay. What is it? Favorite scent? Ours is North Carolina Wood. All right, all right. So, what were some of the smells that you enjoyed? Yes. The smell of sweet potatoes. Ooh. Who knew? I love it. Anybody else from this side? Yes, Rob. Lavender. Lavender. I, hey, you know what? Google that because there's different smells that deal that are supposed to calm you for anxiety and this and that and the other. I won't talk about it. That will be boring. But lavender is one of those that is supposed to calm you. Rob, you nailed it. Yes. A new box of crayons. Unused. Wow, that's very cool. Anybody else? Pizza. Yeah, very practical. Nice, nice work. Now I see your, I see your hands. Go ahead, yell out. The smell of perfume. I'm going to talk about that in just a little while. Thank you. We didn't even rehearse this. And then I loved what you had to say over there. North Carolina mornings. Yes. Fresh cut grass. Awesome. Cool. 
Well, aromas can be powerful, can't they? I mean, for good or and for not. They can conjure up deep feelings and long-forgotten memories. I was going to ask if that kind of connected to your childhood in some way, shape, or form. An odor can actually prompt a fight-or-flight response, joy, sadness, nostalgia, and a variety of other feelings. And sometimes we don't even know why. We get this scent come to us, and we feel in a certain way, and we're like, what, what's going on here? And there's a good reason for that. I'm no biologist. I'm not that smart, but I can do a little research. And it says that smell is called the olfactory. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah, olfactory system. It's unique. It's unique from the other senses in that it's very intertwined with the limbic system, the, pr the place in the body that processes emotions and memories. So when you, to give you an example, when I get a whiff of a certain kind of perfume, not many people wear it anymore, uh, red, I simultaneously am transported back to high school and I think of my girlfriend from high school and my grandmother at the exact same time. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Please don't wear that. They wore the same thing. So our story today, the different Gospels capture it differently. And I'm going to just review a little Bible nerdery stuff. But it will actually help you kind of understand how they all fit together. So Matthew and Mark agree that this event that we read in John is in Bethany, all right? It, they don't name the woman, so they don't name it as Mary, uh, but they do report that it's at Simon the leper's house, which isn't reported in John. And in Matthew and Mark, this unnamed woman anoints the head, hold on to that, that's important, anoints the head rather than the feet. And in Luke, Jesus isn't even at, in Bethany, he's in Galilee, and he's at a Pharisee's house. And he records that a sinful woman is crying at Jesus' feet and using her hair and perfume to kind of wipe it up as an act of repentance, which isn't represented in, in the other Gospels. So John's is different. And... One of the things that's different about John, which I thought was pretty interesting, is in chapters 11 and 12, we're in 12 now, he, he really highlights fragrance a couple of times, the smell of something. And we're going to get to that story right now. So the tension is starting to mount in the story. In, in chapter 11, Jesus comes to find his friend Lazarus. He comes late very late, dead, in a tomb for four days. Mary and Martha are irritated a lot, and in a lot of grief, everybody is. But Jesus gets there, and he says, oh, I'm going to come fix this. He doesn't exactly say that, but that's basically what he says. And he says, I want you to roll away the stone. And Mary says, oh, God, it's going to smell so horrible. He's been dead for four days. They said there's a, a terrible stench in there. I don't know if any of you have smelled a decaying corpse. Most of us probably haven't. But we can connect to the smell of a decaying animal. It's 
or something like that. So take that and exponentially launch that out some, and then you'll get a sense of just how powerful this smell would have been. So there we go. He opened, he, he rolls, has him roll the stone. He calls Lazarus out. He raises him. He resurrects him. And afterwards, immediately afterwards, the scripture says that he goes into hiding and it's for good reason. Word had gotten around about this event. Some people had witnessed it and then they went and told the chief priests and some people were amazed and leaving the, uh, the church behind or the temple worship behind and following and believing in Jesus. And so this word was just like, you know, buzzing everywhere. And the religious council met, and they said, what are we going to do about this guy? Passover's coming, and, and the high priest said, you know what? It's better to kill one person than to have Rome come swat, squash us all. Because they were scared that Rome, all these people were going to be uprising, and Rome was going to come destroy the temple and destroy all of them. That's the stage that is set as we listen to the, the words of the gospel today and they're wondering is jesus even going to show up at the passover which is this eight-day festival that reminds them how god saved the jews from egypt right it's their big big festival is he going to show up is he not can i see him did this really actually happen all of that now it says he was staying in the town on the edge of the wilderness hiding with the disciples and then six days before he comes in bethany and bethany is very very close to the temple the Mount of Olives kind of overlooks it, and we're going to talk about that journey from the Mount of Olives down into the temple next week. But Bethany is not very far across the other hill. So he was in close proximity to uh, being captured. And he's enjoying dinner with Lazarus and the disciples. Now, it doesn't say they're at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. It just says that they're enjoying dinner with them. And it says that Mary was not serving it didn't specifically point that out they just said martha was served but nothing about mary and you remember another story there's another story in the gospel that mary's sitting at jesus's feet not serving so i suspect she's doing the same thing again not serving and, and martha's probably irritated with her a good bit but then she enters she's sitting with this guy who's raised her brother she's sitting with the other disciples and probably some other people um, it's possible that they were at Simon Leper's house. Here's why. Because lepers couldn't deal with what? Food. So they could have been at leper's house, Simon the Leper's house, and Mary and Martha and the other probably women were fixing and preparing the food. Then comes Mary. Mary comes in, and she takes this costly perfume, anoints Jesus' feet, and wipes it with her hair. And the scripture notes that the house was filled with the fragrance. There it is. And again, first we have the stench of death. And now just a few verses later, a beautiful fragrance, an aroma. And this one wasn't unpleasant. So perhaps some of you noticed that there was a smell when you walked in. Did anyone notice that? Yes. That was intentional. That was intentional. People are like, is this a new thing you're doing in here? No, we're not. It was just something we wanted you to walk in and smell, have a fragrance experience because it connects so much with our past. But I want to suggest to you that that fragrance of that expensive perfume and that 
fragrance that we smelled walking in, the incense, the peppermint, it's kind of all mixed up, um, wasn't the only aroma that was in that room that night. I think there was a different one. There was another odor that maybe you couldn't discern with your nose, but you could discern with your heart. And it was the smell of people being stuck. It reeked of judgment and of stinginess and of scarcity thinking and of skewed motives. I want you to picture the room for a moment. They're in Bethany, and that word actually means town of the poor. So they're in a poor town with poor people, right? And then we have Mary taking this this perfume that's worth a year's wages and breaking the seal. And once somebody broke the seal on some of this, at least one of the things that I was looking up, once you break the seal of this, you can't save it because it begins to evaporate and it goes bad, allegedly. So once she did it, it was done. And everybody's looking at it and saying, why are you? Could you imagine the irritation in the room? Could you just picture everybody's silent scorn towards this woman who does something that makes no sense at all? I mean, Judas just piped up and said what everybody else was thinking of. Now, the writer tells us he has some pretty screwed up motives and everything else, but at the core of it, most of the rest of the people that are there are saying, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely. How many other good things have, could have been done with the poor? We know Judas is skimming off the top, but he's right. It's a good question. And the foreshadowing of this whole scene is immensely it kind of foreshadows the Last Supper and the betrayal and the washing of the feet. It's just what it's getting us to Holy Week. It's getting us to Monday, Thursday, and Holy Friday. I want to suggest to, to you and to me and to us that some of us are stuck in our spiritual lives now, too. I don't know if it's looking at other people who are being generous or not. That may not be it, but. I would suspect that some of us in some area of life might be stuck in judgment and criticism. Or maybe we're practicing stinginess in some area of our life. Or we're presenting uh, our good motives, but underneath, we're skimming off the top, just like Judas. I don't know what that is for you but maybe, maybe it's none of that. Maybe it's scarcity thinking about what you have. You don't have enough. I can't be generous because I'm, I'm scared about the future. I want to pause for just 20 seconds for you to ask God in this moment to reveal wherever you might be stuck in your spiritual life. Let's just take just about 20 or 30 seconds to be silent.
I want to suggest to you that we all are emitting a fragrance in our lives. What are we producing? What's it smell like to other people? You see, Mary's action on that day can assist us to give off something that smells more like love and less like judgment and less like stuckness. You know, and Jesus absolutely praises her for it. He ought, but then he says this very troubling statement, and I know if you haven't been troubled by it, you should read it again. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. You always have the poor with you. People have been wrestling with that probably ever since. My own interpretation, which certainly doesn't make it right, is what I don't think Jesus is saying is don't worry or care about the poor. They're always going to be around. You're not going to be able to work on solving it. Just, you know, whatever. I don't think that's it. I don't. I think he was saying something just a little bit different. I think that God is present to us and with us in tangible and amazing ways. In that moment, in a real physical, present way, but in our lifetime, there are always going to be troubles. There are always going to be activities. There are going to be many things in our lives that pull us away from God and focusing and worshiping on Christ. And the invitation is to refocus on Jesus because all that other stuff's going to always be there. Maybe lesser or more, but Jesus is the invitation to this personal, present, filled relationship here and now. So, I suspect that there will never be a day in our lives and in this world where everything will be perfect, right? The nation's issues, the church's issues, the United Methodist Church, uh, heaven help us. I mean, there are always going to be problems, sometimes in your life that stay for a season, some that are more troubling that stay a little bit longer, and some that are with us like a limp for a lifetime. It's never going to be perfect, but why should it be? That would be heaven down the road. Jesus is pointing us to the truth that there is a time for us to be extravagantly generous when it won't make sense to others. I don't know what that is for you. It might not be now, but the fragrance filling the room in that time over the muck of judgment and criticism was the smell of absolute generosity mary's generosity you see you we have to remember and we forget this when we read this that not too far in the distant past jesus raised her brother from the dead and he's sitting at that table and she could you imagine just take for take it in for a moment if god gave you something back in your life that you, that you had lost, that you thought was away forever, that maybe it's sobriety or a, a loved one or somebody comes out from the brink of a health crisis or whatever it is, could you imagine the overflowing gratitude you would have to the person that did that? She felt so grateful that she could be, that she could be generous. You know, 
I want to tell you, I think a pathway, no matter what the stuffness about is, a pathway out of it is one word, gratitude. Gratitude is a way to work through our stuckness. Even when we're in a dark place or in dark places or in difficult circumstances, gratitude can get us out of it. Charles Dickens said this, and excuse the kind of masculine-only language, he said, Reflect upon your, your present blessings, of which every man has plenty, and not on your past misfortunes, of which all have some. So gratitude begins in the reflection in, in our mind, in our heart, and it's shown in action. That's why our mission here is to make God's love real. It is to help people to believe in the doctrines of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and grace, and sanctification, and justification, all those churchy doctrines, but it is taking the gratitude that we have about who Jesus was, is, and will be, and making it real here. That's the purpose. Mary was not only reflecting on her present blessings, but she was putting her attitude of gratitude into action. So when somebody, you can ask me this, when I say, hey, I'm really grateful for you for something, you should ask me, hey, Justin, how you showing? It's just not a thought exercise. Gratitude isn't just thinking about gratitude. It's about somehow manifesting it out in the world here and now. So here's your homework. I want you to take five minutes today, five minutes today, to write down a gratitude list and use it as your prayer, the beginning of your prayer this week to just give God thanks for the things that you're grateful for. Set it up on your phone as a reminder. I encourage that any of you that use social media, the things that you list, one each day, post it out, out in the Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever the new ones are, world, about what you're grateful for. It'll change your life, and it will begin to pull you out of stuckness. Finally, Jesus points out that her act of anointing was a pre preparation for his death. You see, in Matthew and Mark, remember I told you to hold on to the anointing of the head? In the Bible, when somebody got their head anointed with oil, that was to indicate kingship so if you got oil poured over your head you were a king and those gospels were communicating that jesus's kingship but not here in john here that kingship wouldn't become realized until easter and a march to the cross on good friday no here it was the humble obedient servanthood that would come with the washing of the feet that Jesus would later show us later. And, a, and that's, they would use this perfume on the extremities of the dead. They would take this perfume and rub it on their feet and their hands as they prepared people for burial. And Jesus even said that. You see, the odor of death we won't taste. We won't taste the order 
the odor of death. We, however, will have to march through some challenges and joys and sufferings along the way. What I think the invitation is, Mary shows us an extravagant generosity that moves to servanthood, obedience, and praise in ways that the rest of the room couldn't or wouldn't get. So if you are in some stuck place in your life, my encouragement to you is that Jesus is leading the way to show you how to surrender yourself in obedience and generosity and gratitude. And it means that God will take all the anguish and sorrow and suffering of this human existence that we have and can transform it into a different kind of fragrance, a fragrance of love, a fragrance of gratitude, and a fragrance of generosity. Because God's love wins, and he has the power to transform our pain to new life. And when you realize that, the odor of judgment and criticism and scarcity will dissipate out. And you're going to give off some new smells. And that's what the encouragement and hope is for this week. So go and be grateful. Reflect on the cross of Christ. Jesus' dying and forgiveness that's available to everyone. Let's pray together. God, we give thanks for who you are and what you've done. For your extravi- for this story of extravagant generosity. Could we pattern ourselves after Mary to remember what you have done and our calls to be generous in life, thought, and action. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And as generous people, we give back to the church that supports all what we do through the ministries of Hyde Park. Thank you for your generosity.